Uh, Father's Day, if you didn't know, as uh, sad as it is, is one of the least attended Sundays of the year. And fathers, that's probably on us. Uh, need to lead our families better towards Jesus and not away from Him. And uh, but thank you for being here today. It shows your character, and you're, I'm just glad you're here uh, today. We're going diving into our first series in our summer on the Psalms. And if you don't know me, I'm Nathan Price. I serve as one of the pastors here, and uh, we're going to be examining Psalm 73 today. And this is a very important psalm for us. This is something I was telling uh, Chip and Melinda Wells, Wells earlier. I, I have a good friend of mine that I went to seminary with who's, uh, he caught COVID early on, uh, but he's, he never had any symptoms, but afterwards he started having problems with anxiety and depression, never had it in his life. He's about 30, never, and it's because of COVID, and he's been struggling, and I've been talking to him weekly, a couple times a week for about a year now, and uh, this is a psalm that came up, so through our talking, and I was like, that's the one I want to start out with, because I've been working through this with him, and uh, it's a good psalm for us, Psalm 73, and then we're not quite sure of the writer. Uh, it says it's a psalm of Asaph. It could be to Asaph, or it could be Asaph writing it. I uh, don't really know. It's not <clears throat> out there too much, or it could actually be David that has written it, but it's for the purpose of us and edification. And there's a lot better teaching on this psalm, I have to say. Uh, I'm going to do it in one sermon. Charles Spurgeon preached it uh, a good time ago, and he preached five sermons from it, so I'm going to try to do it in one, so hang with me. So hopefully you have a Bible, if you do, turn to Psalm 73, it's also going to be on the screen behind me, so let's read that together. A Psalm of Asaph, truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart, but as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant, for when I saw the prosperity of the wicked, for they have no pangs until death, their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their heart overflows with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Lawfully, they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens, and their tongues stretch through the earth. Therefore, his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold... These are the wicked, always at ease, they increase in riches. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, there I, then I discerned their end. Truly, you set them in slippery places, you make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away early, utterly by terrors. Like a dream when one awakes, O Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant, and I was like a beast towards you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand, you guide me with your counsel. And afterwards you will receive me to glory. Whom I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is my strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far away from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. So this is God's word. I hope he writes it on all of our hearts. 
So I borrowed this intro from a children's book, but I think it shows pretty much what we're dealing with here. It's called The Six Blind Men and the Elephant. One day, six blind men go to the zoo. They hired a guide to tell them about the exotic animals they couldn't see. When they came to the elephants, the zookeeper wanted to have more, the blind men to have more than a verbal description. So he allowed them each to fill the elephant. Since the elephant was large, and since the zookeeper had limited time, he let each man touch one part of the giant mammal. The first blind man reached out his hand, grabbed the elephant's tail. Aha, he exclaimed, the elephant is like a big rope. The next man felt a massive elephant leg. He looked strange. No rope was that big. No, the elephant is like a large log or tree. He was sure of this. The third blind man walked forward and ran straight into the elephant's side, where he pronounced that the elephant is, a, is like a really big wall. Next, another one of the blind men reached out and took hold of the elephant's ears. It must have tickled because the elephant wiggled the large ear, causing the fourth man to say, Oh, see, this elephant is like a big fan. The fifth blind man decided that the first four couldn't all be describing the same creature. So he carefully walked up and put out his hand. The elephant raised his trunk to the man who felt it and grinned in wonder. My friends, it is obvious this elephant is like a huge snake. The final man was totally confused. He walked forward, reached out, hoping to find the truth, and encountered a tusk. He paused and brightened. I understand that the pure nature of the elephant is this. He is a sword. The zookeeper and the guide smiled at one another, knowing that none had seen the big elephantine picture. And guys, I think this is very relevant for our psalm today. <clears throat> Because this is much like the problem that's confronting Asaph here. He's looking at his situation from the wrong point of view. And how guilty we are doing the exact same thing from time to time. And there are things that come in our lives, terrible times and chaos throughout our lives. But when these things do come, we only look at what we can see. But the big picture is much different than what our mortal eyes can behold. So with that... If you have, I, I preach off an outline. Hopefully you got one as you came in. If not, take notes. It's going to be on the screen behind me. There'll be some points you can take there and subpoints. So starting out there, how do we see from God's point of view? I think the first main point there, you can see it from verse 1. God's point of view is good. We can see here from the, from the, from the scriptures that Asaph starts out what? The first verse, truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. He, so he, we get it. God's good, right? And God, the sub-point there, God blesses his people. How do we know this? Psalm 84. For the Lord your God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Right? You've got to remember, these are the people that are believing in Jesus. This is the believing Israelites here. And Asaph has been with them, and he knows. Right? He knows the truth. And he's telling it right now. It starts out on top of the mountain. He's believing, and he's got people believing around him. They're obeying God, his commandments. And also we can see from that text what? It says, to those who are pure in heart. So God also blesses the pure. If you, if you look over to the Gospels, Matthew 5 talks about the pure at heart will see God. And you definitely get this point of view here. You can, you can see what God's got going on. He can see that God is good and things are going on with the Israelites. You can walk through the Scripture and see how God continue and continues to bless them and push them forward. But again, the blessing here is pure. They, they are obedient, they're being pure, and they're seeing God. And they're keeping their focus on Him. But here's the problem. 
What about us? Where are we keeping our focus? Makes me think about when I go to the eye doctor, and I, I, if I wear glasses, I have to go to the eye doctor. I need to go again, and these optologists is flipping through the things to get your focus perfect. You know, how he's one or two, which one's clear as he flicks through. And then finally, by the end of it, if you've answered correctly, he clicks it in, and that's your prescription, and you can see better than ever before, right? That's kind of what Asaph is doing. He's seeing the picture totally clear here. He's good to go, right? He sees it. But here's the problem. Sometimes we focus more on what we can't see than what we do see right in front of us. I think that's his problem here. He's focused more on, uh, even though he knows the truth and he starts out, he starts to focus on what the unknown is. And we focus more on the unknown than we do the known. It makes me think about driving on a road with ruts. Have you ever been stuck in the mud? Which I have a time or two, more than I would like to admit. <laughs> you can see the ruts on a road. And you try to drive beside the ruts, right? Because if you fall off into the rut, you know you ain't getting out probably. Most four-wheel drives will, but if you're in a two-wheel drive, you're definitely stuck, right? So you try to stay out of the ruts. You can see them. They're clearly there. They're, you can see the, the ruts. But if you're not in the right place, sometimes you just kind of, it just doesn't mean to, but you slide off into it. And that's what's happened here. And if you slide off, it's hard to get back out without somebody pulling you out, right? That's what happens here in this psalm, the next verse there. But alas for me, verse 2, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Man, he just fell off the mountain. The next main point there, God's point of view is disagreeable. Disagreeable to who? To Asaph. He's disagreeing with it, right? God, I was, you're good. He starts off, but then almost immediately what happens? He slips off into a rut, doesn't he? Let me ask you, have you ever slipped off in your faith when you see how everything's going with people around you? I mean, why does this happen to me, God? Why me? Oh, me. I mean, I read my Bible, I pray, I tithe, I come to church. Why me, oh, God? Asaph knew of God and the truth of God. Like we saw in verse 1, but his life seemed to disagree with what he knew. That was confusing and doubt slipped in as he looked at the world around him. Look at verse 3 there. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Man, he's just the sub-point there. Disagreeable, why? Because the wicked prosper. He can see it with his own eyes. He sees it, right? The world is just so enticing to him, and he sees all the good and the provisions they're getting. He felt it down deep that the wicked prospered while he knew children of God went without it's disheartening to him. Disagreeable. The next one there is disagreeable. Why? From verse 4. Because the arrogant had peace. Look at verse 4. For they had no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. Fat and sleek. It's a pretty good word, isn't it? He's not rony and bony. He is probably. Asaph is. But the people he sees are what? They're well fed, right? They're well fed. They're doing well. And he watched them even... Almost they live their lives without no problem, right? They're just arrogant, doing things, and they even seem to be peace even when they died. Man, that's tough to see that, isn't it? And he's struggling with it. That fat and sleek makes me, reminds me of some of you guys that raise cows. Robin, you probably know. If you're going to take a bunch of cows to the cell barn, you usually take them and put them in the pens and feed them some good feed before you take them. You know why? 
it fattens them up pretty good. Lots of that protein fattens them up, and you take them to the cell barn, you might get a few more dollars for them. That's kind of what's happened. He's seeing the fatted cow, and he's seeing the scrawny cow over here. He's just upset by it. Wow, God, why, why, why do they get it when they don't live like I do, right? The next one there, verse 5. They're disagreeable at the pleasures that they had. What's it say? They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. I don't know what the stricken means for the people of Israel. It doesn't say. We've tried to read throughout some of the Old Testament and different things. Uh, but they, they have something going on in the tribe, some kind of sickness. Talks about being stricken a couple of times. Don't really know. He's just sick, right? Just sick. Doesn't feel good. And he knows everybody else is not with that. He sees how wicked their lives are consumed with all these sinful things, and they just get to seem to ease through life without trouble. It seemed they could do nothing wrong, and all, you know, all the good things just keep happening to them. No trouble at all, you know. Now, the next one there, verses 6 through 11. It's disagreeable by the pride they possess. Disagreeable by the pride they possess. You can look there. I mean, you can see it from the verses. We're going to read them. It seemed like because of the lives they lead, God never opposes the proud. But he promised he would. I mean, they even say, like paraphrasing the verse later on there, Ellen Carr says, God doesn't know. Even if he does, he's weak and unable to do anything at all. They're just doubting God and pushing God off. And they just live so flippantly in the world. They get all the pleasure and poor Asaph, he just gets none, doesn't he? It seems they have it made. They flaunt, they flaunt God's law in their face. Look at verse, let's, let's look at verse 6 there. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell through fatness, and their hearts overflow with follies. I mean, you, see, you know people that wear pride as a necklace, right? Pride is something that consumes all human beings. And pride... Usually, like, these people would be the ones that you go and do all the work, and then they come around the side and kind of show up for the picture that gets posted on social media, or they take some pictures of posted on social media, and they were there for 30 seconds when you work for three hours, right? You understand these people? They exist, right? Because it's all about them getting the, everybody else to see the persona of who they are, right? It's about projecting themselves in a good light so everybody can see how good they are. Pride is their necklace. And their eyes swell through fatness. Again, these people are well fed. Right? He talks about it again, right? Their hearts overflow with follies. Pretty good word there. Pretty hard words too, isn't it? Overflow with follies. They just go through life. Just do, 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 do. Everything's good. And they even flaunt God, God's law on his face. Continue reading there. What's it say? Verse 8. They scoff and speak with malice. Lawfully they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens, and their tongue struts through the earth. Therefore, his people turn back to them, and they find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Again, it, you, you, can, you know some of these people. They're big talkers, right? Eight and nine. They know how to manipulate their way through speech. Very political here. Using things to manipulate the situation they're in so they can see, point people to how good they are. Their mouths are against the heavens, right? It says it there. And their tongue struts to the earth. Wow. Pretty good words, isn't it? Again, what does that mean? I think they're very religious people. They know, they know what to say. They know when to say it. To make themselves look good. And even in verse 11 there, that's a scary word. I mean, like, they, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Calling out God? That's how they, that's how they live. That's how they operate. And guys, we should be careful of people like this. 
We should be aware, and we, know, we all know people like this, these good old boys. And we, we need to be aware because plenty of you will say that they believe in God, and there's like these people here that Asaph is seeing, but what about their lives? What does their life prove that they believe in? They aren't atheists, but their lives don't look much different than one. They just live with indifference to God. And that's what scares me. I feel like here in the South, all throughout where I've been pastoring and ministered, uh, especially in the South, we, we have an indifference towards the things of God. We claim to know Christ, but we're indifferent to the God's things, God's Word, what it really says, God's plans, God's mission. And that indifference, I'm afraid when you get to heaven, is going to cause you, God's going to judge you for it. It's going to be scary for you. But this indifference to all these wonderful things God has for us scares me to death for people that I know and love. So what should we do about it? We should tell him not to be indifferent to the things of God, but try to but dive in to be, understand more of what God's point of view looks like. That's what we should do, right? He, he sees all these people. They're just living this life of luxury, so to say. The next one there. Disagreeable by the pride they possess, but also disagreeable by the progress they make. Look at verse 12 there. Behold, these are the wicked. Always at ease, they increase in riches. They just keep getting more and more and more. He's getting frustrated. I think he's becoming bitter. Have you ever, have you ever become bitter at someone because of all the things they have and how easy they have it in life? I think it's pretty easy for us to all fall victim to it. I think he's crying out here and lamenting kind of like a Job-like fashion. You know, Job had it all, right? It was all taken away from him, and then more were stored later. But look at verse 13. What's it say? All in vain I have kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. Oh, God, look at me. I've done it all right. I've done it so good. I, he's calling out to God. He's saying, I've done it your way, God. I've humbly done it. What else? Look at 14. For all the day long I've been stricken and rebuked every morning. Again, Something's going through that we don't know what he's stricken with. We don't know what Israel's stricken with, but something's happening. He's sick. He doesn't feel well, right? I mean, he's sharing his sorrow with God. He's crying out to him. And he's stricken, and he, and he gets rebuked. He's never betrayed God's design, right? If you continue reading there, 15. For if I had said I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. I don't tell everything, God, because I don't want them to struggle and know how hard it is to struggle. I can, I can relate to that a little bit with the next generation. But he did not waver or admit his struggles because he didn't want these other next generation to walk in despair like that. But guys, we need to be careful there. I, I can understand not, not sharing some struggles with the other generation, next generation, as somebody that raises up the next generation to be on mission to serve God. But for goodness sake, don't suffer alone. That's a terrible place to be and. Uh, go see a counselor, go, go see a pastor, go see a mentor. Share your struggles with your body of believers, people you in your Sunday school class or small group or your group of friends. Like, share your struggles because everybody struggles in some way and you can, it can be relatable. That's how God builds community. That's what it looks like. Look at 16 there. Something changes here. Something changes. Look there. There's a burden for him to be lived. But he doesn't have anything to show for it. Look at 16. But when I thought of how to understand this, it seemed a wearisome task. And guys, as we know, as some of you guys have lived life a lot longer than I have, life is a wearisome task sometimes. And he's, he's dealing with himself here, and God's 
the writer's just crying out. He feels like quitting. He's doubting his faith. It seems from this verse he's ready to quit. And all this time he's been working and serving God, it seems like a waste. What about you? Have you ever felt this way? When things start piling up, we are definitely tempted to think that what the world can offer is better. That the benefits from serving God are too much and treacherous and all the world has it so easy. Alan Carr says this, dealing with this problem. The problem of this line of thinking is that life is viewed from a human perspective. When we look at the life and its problems from a human perspective, we will always focus on self. Everything always comes down to, how does this affect me? What problems will I face now? And when will I ever have relief? Who cares about what I am facing? Natural thinking always results in disaster because it allows you to stand in the wrong place and see things from the wrong angle. Proverbs 3 speaks to this. Because Asaph knows, remember, we started out good. He's trusting in the Lord. Look at Proverbs 3. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. But guys, we all fall into this trap of viewing, gazing life from our human point of view. And you will doubt what you know is true about the Lord. Guys, this is a dangerous place to be. But what do we do? We have to remain faithful where God has you because your experience there helps you understand more of how faithful God is to us. But here's the thing. We've all been at rock bottom sometime in our life. If not, you're going to be there. And Tony Evans says this. I think it speaks really good to this as we go into the next verses here. Tony Evans says, it's okay to be at rock bottom because if you know God, God is the rock. Guys, that's a true statement. It's hard to be there, but God is the rock that we found in everything on. And you can see that Asaph is having some dealing with God here, and, and something changes here in the next verses here in verse 17. He finds his answer he's been looking for. And also the next main point, God's point of view brings clarity. How do we know this? Look at the text there. I'm going to read 16 with it, even though we just went over 16 because it fits together. But when I thought I had to understand this, it seemed a wearisome task, and it was. But look there. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. Hmm. God, guess what Asaph does? He goes to the tabernacle because the temple's not been restored yet. He comes to church. And somehow God does something to Asaph there, um, makes him aware of he's been there, but it changes his tone for the rest of the book. Why? Because he, again, gets his answer and he starts focusing on the truth that he knows and not what he sees and dwelling on what he can't. And we, his faith is restored. Why? Because he went to church. And guys, you don't have to get cleaned up and come to church. God will take you just as you are if you repent and trust in him wherever you are. But it definitely helps to come to be refreshed and encouraged. I always come here to get refreshed and encouraged. And I'm telling you that happens for me. He went to the tabernacle. God answered and dealt with his cries to him. You know, he's been lamenting all these things. Calling out to God. And God has him focused again and not on his circumstances around him. And how often we all need to put aside ourselves and focus on what God has for us. And so he went to church. And he had faith, right? 
And one of the greatest preachers of our time, Adrian Rogers, says this about this, about faith in the church. He says, if your faith can't get you to church on Sunday, I doubt it will get you into heaven. That's a true statement for all of us to make us aware of who we are. If your faith can't get you to church on Sunday, I doubt it will get you into heaven. And so it brings clarity. But what does it bring clarity for? Clarity for the world. Clarity for the world. Not just for some of us. Why? Because there's a, there's a right way and there's a wrong way. Matthew 7 says what? Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Clarity for the whole world. God's done this. Asaph has clarity here. He's starting to realize that the wicked might have their best life now. And there's plenty of preachers out there that will preach you and tell you this too. But guys, that's just not, for Christians, our best life is here, to be spent here is obeying God's design on earth and building his kingdom here and anticipating the day that he comes back and restores our world. And that's for all of us. Because guys, we're here for a blip of time and we spend a lot of time in eternity. It will get better for Christians because one day when we leave this earth, we'll go and be with Jesus. Asaph understands this again. He confesses he's dealing with his own heart here. Again, he understands his worship has been with the wrong lenses, right? He's worshiping circumstances instead of his Father in heaven. Roy Clement, a pastor of in England, says this about this. Worship puts God at the center of our vision. It is virtually important because it's only when God is at the center of our vision that we see things as they really are. But here's the problem, guys. Even when God illuminates them and sometimes brings them in as they really are, we don't want to see it. You know why? Because it makes us uncomfortable. And we want things comfortable. But here's the thing. You can't just keep sweeping sin and things under a rug because eventually the rug gets too small and it won't cover it up anymore. And it makes it so much worse. Clarity from God's point of view is uncomfortable and it strikes to our hearts. Here's the thing. Don't let your emotions drive your clarity, your view of God. Let your prayer life, His Word, His grace, and His truth drive it to Him. Because God said He would fix it straight, and He will. He's, look at 21 and 22. My soul was embittered when I was pricked in heart. I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast towards you. I've been there. <laughs> I've done that. I know about you, but it, it, this, this part really gets me like, He's calling out, God, this is who I was, and you still wanted me like this. And if you're here today and you've never trusted in Christ, he wants you, even when you're British and ignorant towards him, he wants to have a relationship with you. Why? Because Jesus came from earth, came from heaven to earth, died on the cross for your sins, and rose again, defeating death. And if you repent and believe in that and live a life devoted to that, he will save you from your sins. And I urge you to do that today if you've never done that. So you can see things from God's point of view. Doesn't mean it's always that way and easy, but it's the way to do it. <coughs> Excuse me. Asaph is coming self-aware here. And self-awareness brings introspection and things that change. Here's, here's a good way I think he put it. He's allowing God to put the puzzle together for him. Asaph can't see, he can see some of the pieces, but he has no idea how to put them together. It's coming into focus. He's figuring it out again. God's got him... Allow him to understand. Look at the next five verses there. And the next main point there. God's point of view is faithful. 
God's point of view is faithful. Even though there are doubts and questions, he still has and knows faith. Back to the truth, right? Bob Utley says this, doubt is the stepping stone for deepening faith. And here's the thing, guys. Biblical faith is not for us. It's to actually know God, the God of the universe, the God of the cosmos. So let me ask you, do you know him? Again, today, make it today. Because here it is. It's not about you, it's about him. Look at 23 through 28 there. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. If you're faithful, God, if you're, God's point of view is faithful, but that faithfulness brings what? It brings us truly the presence of God. 23, I mean, he's holding your right hand, for goodness sakes. And if, if God has got you in his hand, you can never be plucked away. And what does that mean? You're never alone in the midst of trials. Even when you can't see God, he's there holding your hand. John 14, 16 says what? And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. That helper is called the Holy Spirit. And once you become a follower of Christ, you get the Holy Spirit that comes and dwells in you, and he pushes you towards who? Jesus himself. John Phillips has a good word. Speaking of verse 23, he says it this way. It's better to have your hand in God's hand than in the pocket of some rich sinner. Guys, we get the presence of God himself. We get the presence, but we also get the protection of God. Look there. 24, you guide me with your counsel, and afterward you receive me to glory. You get God's guidance. He guides you and protects you from many things unseen today that we have no idea about. God is always guiding you. Sometimes you just need a lens change. We all do. He protects. If you're in Christ, you get to enjoy all the same protection. It makes me think about, some of you guys have probably seen the footprints in the sand picture you might have it in your house where you have two sets of footprints and then there's a section where there's one set of footprints and uh in the story or the guy asked god god where, where were you he said son i was carrying you that's why there's one set that's the kind of protection we have we're in christ like we truly have that but sometimes we don't realize it we just don't know it god protects us right he job 23 he knows the way that i take when he has tried me i shall come out as gold do we look at our circumstances as trials to come through, or we just look at, woe is me, woe is me, God? God, God, guys is gonna, God has a plan for us, and it doesn't finish until you go to be with Jesus. So you, don't continue, to, you continue to grow more in love with him and more towards him as you get older and get wiser. And you will be that gold. We get the presence of God, we get the protection of God, but we also get... The person of God. The person of God. Look at 24 there. The end of it. You receive me to glory forever. So you get to be with him forever. You will reside with him. And look, at, look at Asaph here. Something's changed, right? He seems to have forgotten about all the pleasures the world had and the wickedness they had. He's lamenting about just how bad he's got it. But what they don't have, and he's come to realize, they don't have a relationship with the God of the universe. He is understanding that if he's desiring God's design for things, he will never be disappointed. But truly, if you let your desires be what the world shows you, it will lead to discouragement. All you need is God. He will satisfy all desires and put you on mission for him. How do I know this? Go back to the text. Let's finish it up there, 25 through 28. 
Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is my strength and my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. And you put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. So we get the person of God. And how do we get him? We get him in heaven but you. Like, let me ask you, like, that, verse 25, is there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you? That's a good word for all Christians. And another, you've probably heard that my heart and my flesh may fail, but God is a strength in my heart and my portion forever. I love the last verse, verse 28 there. This is, great, this is a great way for all Christians to go about life. Look at verse 28. And then we'll close. But for me... It's good to what? Be near God. Absolutely it's good to be near God. And his word, his body, his church. What else? And you, I have made the Lord God my refuge. Man, a refuge is something that will always be there and never go away. And what else? The last one. That I may tell of all your works. So if you're grounded in this, guess what you're going to go do? Tell others about this rock. Tell others about Jesus. Asaph was struggling and now he's not, he can't help but go and speak words of life to people around him. And guys, that should be for all of us. So what does this mean for us? I mean, it's like, if you have ever felt like Asaph does here, and maybe you might today, you also can not feel that way and get focused back on the truth that you know from his word and from your prayer life and from his church. As we have seen from this text, let God change your point of view so he won't get caught up in what we can see with our human eyes. Remember the church to look for God's point of view. Because if you do, we'll get to run this race with endurance. And here's a good, here's a good, here's a good thing. And I guess Asaph had forgotten about this, but Psalm 23. I'm going to read it. Just listen to the words of all that God does for us. All right? To keep, to keep us aware of him. Psalm 23, some of you probably know it. I think it's a great way to focus on what it looks like to do this life with God. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table for me. In the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil, and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Guys, that's what we can have if we're able to stay focused and be faithful to the God of the universe. So here it is, guys. I'm gonna this is the last thing. Don't let the world and its circumstances blind you from an ever-present God.